And we're back. We are Behind the Net Podcast. This is episode two. I am one of your hosts, Matthew Rodrigo Pohl, and sitting beside me is... Michael Mose, the other host of Behind the Net. And as you guys probably know, we are a Toronto-based podcast, and we mainly focus on Toronto sports, mainly hockey and the Toronto Maple Leafs, but we talk, talk about other um, NHL news and other sports, especially the big three here in Toronto. So um, right off the bat, we'll start with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, obviously, th- this is being recorded on Wednesday, and it'll come, and the, you're probably um, listening to this on Thursday. And the Leafs just um, were defeated by the Washington Capitals in uh, another unfortunate game. It went all the way up till overtime, and the Toronto Maple Leafs lost four to three. So, Michael, just uh, give me some of your thoughts on that. Well, let's first talk about their month at the end of the. Uh month of October. It's 6-5-3 and three. at the time of the recording. Uh, they're third place in the Atlantic Division, but that could easily change by, by night's end with Florida playing Colorado. Um, here's some things about uh, their, their record that I want to say off the top of the, uh, the, top of the hop. Um, it's unfortunate that they've been off to a slow start. There's been quite a lot of uh, circumstances that have gone against them, especially uh, in tonight's game. But at the same time, um, there's been you you could. How can I say this? Um, you'd want them to have a bit much better record than they currently have. Even just one more win would make this record far more sustainable. Like more like, hey, this is something I can deal with. And especially from last night's game, where at least, uh, the, yeah, they had a they had a good start, a rough second period, and uh, made it made a game out of it. Uh, despite their special teams basically being their downfall, both uh, on the power Definitely. play. And uh, on the penalty kill, especially in, in overtime there. Mm-hmm. And the Leafs' power play was really struggling. We were one for seven. And, um, yeah, you really need some help from your special team, specialty teams in the, those games, especially to get the offense going. And I think the Leafs are just kind of in a slump there. Um, obviously, I think we see now how big of a piece John Tavares is, obviously as captain of the team. But um, it really changed the dynamic of the power play. And... Um, Hopefully when he gets back, it can get things going again. But it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough to see um, the Leafs unable to capitalize on so many chances. Especially because of the fact that they have so many skilled players on there. Let's not kid ourselves. When you have a group of guys like Marner, yeah. Matthews, Nylander, Janssen, and Morgan Riley on your power play, you should score more often than you don't. Yeah, and it sucks that I have to say John Tavares is a big piece because we have... Um, Matthews, Janssen, Nylander, Marner, Riley, all on power play. And uh, yet, yeah, John Tavares is a huge part of that, um, <laughs> even though we have stars. And um, the Leafs just need to figure that out, really. Oh, yeah. And uh, you could tell by the crowd's reaction after like, the one of the power plays. Uh, it was reported that uh, that the, f- the fans were booing the Leafs after a power play. And, they're, and, I, and you can see on Twitter, people were, were, were reacting in a way that... Uh, they were upset that the Leafs were getting a power play, and they're like, "No, I don't want that. Give us a five-on-five five play again, because it's basically a cop out." Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, how it corrected itself was uh, the Leafs made a simple change by swapping Matthews and Marner's placement on the ice, and that's what resulted in the only goal. And that's a great that's a great sign of improvement, but it really makes you wonder why it took them that long to make such a I change. Think, I think that goes right back to, I think, what most Leafs fans are criticizing Babcock about is his kind of hes- hesitation to adapt to situations and kind of um, change the way he wants things to be done. And, yeah, you got to think, I mean, out of eight power plays, we only scored once. And, and it, as he said, it only took that one decision to kind of turn things on. And, yeah, like, it just took so long. Oh yeah, and like, what about that five on three where uh, they had Riley and Barry on the power point oh, yeah. on the point, and uh, both of them were basically shooting low percentage shots uh, from far out and uh, giving Holby quite an easy task of uh, t- uh, steering them aside. And what 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 is it going to take for them to consider? Hey, if we're going to have that sh- point shot, why don't we just have Barry on the first power play unit and move Riley down to the second one? Because we've seen so many times Riley is trying to. Uh, shoot it but it's more likely going to be a wrist shot and wrist shots from that far out are more than likely not going in and if they do it's kind of a fluke 
And what Riley's really looking for is a pass, and when that pass is taken away, the power play falls apart. So I wonder when that point's going to come that Barry is going to get more minutes on the first unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, Our second topic, I guess, going off that game is um, Ovechkin made some some comments about... um, about the Leafs in general. Yeah, I think it's definitely a good thing we want to talk about. Uh, before we do start talking about it, we'll play a clip of it right now. Uh, for them, you know, they're still a still young group of guys, and, um, you know, um, I hope they're going to learn. But, uh, you know, again, uh, it's it's up to them how they want to do it. And uh, if they want to uh, play for yourself or if they want to win for uh, if they want to uh, win Stanley Cup, they have to uh, play differently. Um, it's no doubt. So obviously, what are your thoughts on his uh, comments here? I'm going to just repeat what Mike Babcock said. It really hurts because it's true. And it also really helps because a guy like Ovi is saying it because he's uh, been through that. Like, we talk about how Ovechkin is one of the greatest goal scorers of, of our generation, possibly of NHL history. For sure. But it took him 13 years to win a Stanley Cup. It took him basically his entire career to make it past his arch rivals in the Pittsburgh Penguins. And getting past the second round was something that everybody would always talk about. It's like, oh, Washington will never be able to win the Cup unless they either A, get past Pittsburgh, B, get out of the second round, or C, both. And what did it take for them to win it when no one expected them to? And that was, um, that was kind of Ovi's point, though. Um, that you know he knows that the Capitals weren't playing to the point where they were a championship team. You need that kind of, uh, I guess, that mindset and something. Something has to flick on um, in your mind, in all, in the whole team's minds. And um, I mean, obviously, he's saying that yeah, he admits that they weren't getting it done against Pittsburgh, but or just in general. But something turned on, and that's what the Leafs have to figure out. Um, Matthews kind of shot back at Ovechkin, kind of with the same kind of idea that um, he said, you know, like how many times did Washington lose to Pittsburgh before um, they kind of broke through? And um, yeah, I mean, again, it kind of echoes the same idea. Um, the Leafs do seem a little um, young, obviously comes with the inexperience of, you know, getting stuck in the first round for so long and um, kind of they need to get over that hump. Um, what else do you have to say about this whole... Well, uh, let's just put it to you this way. Um, the Leafs have the Boston Bruins and the first round stuck in their heads. They really want to get past the first round, no doubt about mm-hmm. it. Uh, I think for not only this team, but for the city and the franchise as a whole, uh, they they want to move on to the second round, play more than just a, a maximum of seven games. Um, they would love to get past it, and I think that that will go a long way in improving their confidence. But just like with the Washington Capitals... There's something extra motivating when you beat the the rivals that have had your number for so many years. For sure. And I think that if I were the Toronto Maple Leafs, I would like to avoid Boston at, at all costs. I think that... I think we we talked about this um before we started recording, but yeah. um I like I know a lot of Leafs fans, and I've I've seen jokes, you know, aha, uh-huh, like the the Toronto Maple Leafs are tanking for the wild card spot because we want to avoid <laughs> they want to avoid Boston, um and. I heard that last year as well, and and deep down, Leafs fans probably wish it was true. You know, um, I think a lot of us feel like um, we would rather have the Leafs face like Tampa Bay because we saw Tampa um, kind of crumble against Columbus. So so it is doable, and mm-hmm. I think um, because Boston's kind of stuck in the Leafs' heads, um, you want to see the Leafs, you know, win around, and I think that would obviously give them confidence, a lot of confidence. Uh, moving forward but you're right and you also mentioned that you would rather see the Leafs just beat Boston and kind of get through them let's just put it to you this way if there's one thing that you have to do to overcome your uh, deficiencies and overcome uh, hardships it's either avoiding the problem altogether in the playoffs as in just like hope that you get a matchup that's not Boston or just plow right through the team that's uh, had your number and that's what happened with Washington after year after Pittsburgh year after have, year. Ha- year after year the same outcome very predictable. Oh, yeah. It took uh, an inspired effort, and yes, even after they beat uh, what was it Pittsburgh, Washington still had quite a road to get to the Stanley Cup Finals, and 
it was still rewarding at the end because remember that uh, win was a huge uh, confidence booster because when they went to that series against Tampa Bay, uh, they felt like, hey, if we can beat Pittsburgh, we can beat anybody. And I feel like that's what's something that uh, will really help the teams build their confidence. But yeah, like you said, uh, if the Leafs can avoid Boston, that would help too. <laughs> For sure. And um, like I said, I think I think it's all it all comes down to confidence. That's a big part of it. I think um, obviously if the Leafs can get past the first round that's a huge confidence boost has been something that's probably been messing with their heads for a long time you know the Leafs can't get past the first round and I think they just want that kind of narrative to end so they can move on and um, I think with that would come confidence but yeah I mean just like how Ovechkin was saying you know something has to turn on either they have to just just push through and they just have to beat that kind of obstacle that, that, that's in their way and you, you kind of saw a bit of the, uh, the Leafs uh, that being taken to heart last night. Uh, what was it? We had Matthews taking a questionable hit, and then Riley retaliates. Yes, Riley went to the box there, but that just shows, like, hey, I'm standing up for my teammate. And but more so, uh, sorry to interrupt, uh, no, no with Gauthier um, I was fighting Wilson. Yep. yep, there you go. So, I mean, toughness has been a big, big topic, especially as of late, you know, um, you know, Matthews getting pushed around a bit last week and basically nobody coming to his help. Um, and we've seen it time and time again. Um, what do you think? Uh, was there maybe probably like some kind of message obviously echoed through the uh, locker room where they kind of get that they have to stick up for their teammates? Obviously, we don't have the most physical, tough guys on the team, but I mean, they're doing their part. Well, we saw that. Of course. They don't need to be the most physically intimidating team in order to be successful. They just need to show that they care for each other, not just off the ice because that's really easy to do, but on the ice. Because when you when someone gets hurt, and your immediate response is to go after the guy that hit your player, that uh, tells that player, "I I got your back. I will not let anything uh, slip slip by you." Um, and that that really goes a long way to improving the team's morale. It really boosts their confidence. It brings them closer together and I think that uh, what you saw on Tuesday night was the first steps towards making that a reality and I really hope we see more performances like that because the narrative that the Leafs are soft is something that's not going to go away until they show that uh, they really can. Uh, it was definitely promising. Um, I, I I don't think that narrative will go away and I think it's somewhat com been coming true in the last few weeks as we saw. Um, and it is it is true you don't you know we need to kind of have that presence on the ice you need to have that reputation that you can't be pushed around and if our stars are getting pushed around that's something um, that's that is a concern if our, our stars are getting pushed around and nobody is doing anything about it but that was promising to see so I like seeing that of course yeah and uh, hopefully we we can continue that going forward I think what would really help the Leafs is if guys like Austin Matthews start to step up physically I don't know if you saw this, but last night he was involved in a scrum that he actually started oh, yep. himself. Mm -hmm. He's blessed with size and uh, body weight. He He's should be big, using yeah. that more. But I don't want to see our stars, our star player, kind of um, having to put himself in those situations as well. Of course, yeah. Basically just play like Evgeny Malkin. Malkin is like essentially For the sure. same size who's gifted offensively, and he plays the physical game when he when he absolutely needs to. Mm -hmm. Not like when, just because. That's what I want to see Matthew start to do more. I get it. There may be some hesitation because of the injury history with his shoulder, and he may have had a concussion. But use it because that will really go a long way. Yep. And uh, the Leafs are definitely kind of hopefully fixing that problem. So that's good. Well, let's just go off again about the Leafs' month of October. Like I mentioned earlier, it's 6, 5, and 3. Technically speaking, that's under 500. But yet they are in a playoff spot as of right now. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on what you think uh, went wrong this month and if it's uh, indicative of the team's talent. I mean, for one, we like the Leafs had a very tough schedule, let's be honest. Four back-to-backs um, just in the month of October, and a lot of those back-to-backs didn't go the Leafs' way. Um, you know, we talked about this last week, Babcock's mentality that play the, uh, play the number one goalie first and kind of get those wins, uh, that win right off the bat, those points. Um, but that hasn't happened for I didn't I don't know how the exact number but obviously we know a few of them um, we didn't win the first the first game of the back to back mm -hmm. um, and I, I really think a lot of it comes down to that because the scheduling was tough 
Um, quickly, I want to talk about like going in November. It's looking like uh, the Leafs have a easier schedule, so they can kind of uh, sit back a little more and have some breathing room. Um, only three back to backs, and um, this upcoming week they have a few easier match um, a few easier matchups. They should be able to win. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like within the next few days, we face the Flyers and the Kings, and I think they're both winnable for sure. Mm-hmm. Vegas, Vegas will be I think pretty close because we know Vegas is a good team, but I think the Leafs can come out with a win. And I definitely think um, if the Leafs keep up a good mindset and hopefully they start rolling, they can take the win against the Flyers again on uh, on the ninth. Of course, uh, let me put it to you this way. Um, the month of October was brutal, but the fact that they even have the record that they currently have is quite impressive. It's when impressive. you consider a lot of things, one, obviously the schedule was tough. Injuries. Uh, injuries, injuries, too. Uh, just one. to go off about the schedule, not only did the Leafs have four back-to-backs, but it just so happened that all four of those back-to-backs had a division rival in the second game, yep. which is really unfortunate. Not only that, but the Leafs had to travel to get to said city and play the next night. Yeah, and more, more often that. than not... All the teams that they played on the second night were rested. So the chances of winning were already pretty slim. So the fact that, what was it, the first game, the Leafs almost won had it not been for blowing that lead. The second game, the Leafs kept with Boston the whole night, except uh, they didn't. And then the most recent one was a very disappointing effort against uh, Montreal. That's probably like the one real stinger on a back-to-back. And I do want to talk about, um, obviously, injuries have been a big demise for the Leafs. You know, um, the Leafs got back Travis Dermott, but they unfortunately, um, I, Jake Muzzin went out yeah. with uh, an injury. And, um, you know, I just wrote an, ar- an article about, <laughs> and, and, and if anyone's listening and reads Editor and Leaf, um, I actually had that post ready for two days ago. And we actually were like, you know, it's not timely. Um, it, there's no there's no deadline really for it. Um, it so... We scheduled it for to come out today, which is Wednesday, and little did we know <laughs> he got um, injured last night. But Muzzin has been really taking a step forward. I think he's been really stepping his game up. And I want to talk about Tyson Berry, mm-hmm. which um, obviously many Leafs fans um, we all know he hasn't been exactly as advertised. Um, he hasn't been playing really that great. He's his his his. Strength in his game is obviously his offense, which he only has, um, I believe, four points, four assists. Well, now he got he he uh, ended his slump last night. There we go. Yeah, you did. Um, and he, uh, but defensively as well, um, again, not his biggest strength. Doesn't that sound familiar? But, um, he still, even though it's not his biggest strength, um, there is still a lot of, um, you know, a lot of a lot of mistakes there. Hmm. Sounds exactly like Jay Garner, I don't think. Mm-hmm. For well, sure. But but listen, uh, Tyson Derry has been trying to adjust to life as a Toronto Maple Leaf, not simply on the ice, but off the ice. And it's a lot of a culture shock because he'd been in Colorado for so long and playing with that system for God knows how many years. And now he's coming over here and getting used to like the lower altitudes. Like you have, we have to, we have to recognize that. There's uh, factors. Yeah, there's a lot of factors. And, uh, like, give credit where credit's due. The fact that Tyson Blair is continuing to play each and every night, despite the fact that he's struggling and, uh, like, going through these adjustments, like, that that tells you the, this guy cares. And the fact that he finally got his confidence back up after getting that uh, a primary assist on Matthew's goal late in the second period, that's going to go a long way. And obviously, it's unfortunate that he doesn't have Jake Muzzin with him because that pair is starting to look decent. Yeah, like, and as, as I was saying before... um. Jake Muzzin really kind of stepped his game up in the kind of absence of Tyson Berry. I mean, obviously Tyson Berry was there, but yeah, he wasn't playing um, up to par as he, you know, is expected to play. And um, just to see Jake Muzzin kind of take that step forward offensively um, was a big thing. And uh, I think with injuries, now Dermot's back, so that's hopefully a good sign. But, um, you know, I think many of the Leafs' D core just kind of had to fill in those pieces, fill in those places, um, kind of as they go. Oh, yeah. And let's just let's, let's not take any, uh, let's not sugarcoat this. The Leafs have had quite a bit of new faces, both on the ice and on the bench. 
and we have to keep in mind that uh, they can't just instantly show up and think, oh, we're going to instantly have success right away. It's just hard to do. It takes time to adjust to the new system. And same with the all the players on the least defense. Like, obviously, Tyson Berry is a new face, but uh, we still have Jake Muzzin still adjusting, even though like, he's been playing really well. Cody Cece as well. Justin Hall, who is finally getting consistent playing time because he, he deserves it. He's getting used to the new system. Kevin Gravel, when he was getting his, his looks in, uh, he's, he was adjusting too. And Rasmus Sandin is a new place player that uh, the guys on the roster were getting adjusted to too. So I think we have to keep that in mind as well, that because there was so many new, uh, so much turnover in the offseason, that a slow start was, was to be expected, was more likely going to be expected because of the fact that uh, there needs to take time before everything clicks. And that same thing with the defense. For sure. Um, what are your thoughts on... So you, do you think Tyson Berry will improve? Because honestly, I've saw I've seen a lot of Leafs fans on Twitter. I mean, we know Twitter is kind of a tough place to gauge, but <laughs> um, a lot of people are calling for his head basically, and I really don't. I really think it's it's way too early for that. Yeah. We know he's an elite talent, um, and we know that he's definitely going to be motivated to play hard for. I mean, his contract at the end of the season, but. Um, I really think it's way too quick to judge. Obviously, it's unfortunate. It seems just the Leafs always kind of have this bad luck where they don't get the player as advertised. Mm-hmm. But I think he'll come along. Yeah, I think um, once we kind of get to full strength. Unfortunately, when we lost when we lost uh, Muzzin, it was the same day we got back Dermot. So you kind of add one, but you subtract one. But once we get everything kind of rolling again, I really think Tyson Berry will come into his real game yeah and i just want to mention with the muzzin they're reporting that uh his injury is more of a charlie horse than anything serious so he shouldn't be out too long if it really is going to take him out for a game and i think that's going to be a huge boost for uh tyson berry because i agree with you i think that uh his slump is uh, not indicative of the kind of player that he is he's every player goes through their dry spells every now and again and uh, i really think that that assist from uh, tuesday night is really going to go a long way he has a chance to really get uh, make a big statement on Saturday night because Philadelphia, God bless them, have been struggling to keep the puck out of their net. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing that an offensive defenseman could use to get uh, confidence going, is a big game offensively. And I think that that's a prime ex- like that's just one prime example of a chance that Tyson Berry can uh, make a huge statement with uh, like getting a goal and an assist, for example, would be a really nice game for him. And like that will like guys calm down. I'm fine. We'll be fine. Tyson Berry's an elite offensive defenseman, and we know this. He scored 59 points last season. So um, he just needs something. Yeah, he needs to get going. Like, I really think he just needs that confidence boost. Um, He really drives plays, and we can see that. Um, He has made some mistakes, though. But he just needs it to click. He needs it to go into the back of the net, and it just needs to give him confidence. I think he'll be fine. I think that's a perfect segue to uh, something I want to bring up because there's another player on the list that definitely needs a confidence boost, and that's Mitch Marner. I have sure. to say, ever since that contract is signed, I think there's he's got a lot going on in his mind, and he's trying really hard to, to make a big impression. And obviously, there's a lot of reasons for it because of the big contract. It's the, and it's the, the pressure to perform. You know? yeah, he and wants the, to perform for his contract. Yeah, and the summer that he had, there's still a lot of people that are upset with uh, how things played out and don't think that he's up to, up to par with what his contract says he is. And uh, I think for him, like you could tell that he's really he's it's really starting to get to him and i know that uh yes having Tavares back on the line would really help and obviously zach Hyman when he eventually returns to the lineup which should be very soon will help out as well but what mitch marner needs to do and this is the same thing with tyson barry is just find find a way just keep things simple that's what really happened with tyson barry on that on his uh point that uh ended the drought he kept it simple he recognized what his player wanted and Matthews wanted the tip, he gave it to him, and he got his point. Mm-hmm. That's what really Marner's got to do. Start out simple, get your confidence going, and then make those big plays. Because he said during an interview today, I can score a lacrosse goal if I have a chance to. Like, now's not the time. Just put the puck in the net and then worry about it when you have your confidence at an all-time high. Definitely. Um, and with that, we will segue into, I guess, other NHL news. Yes. Um, so first, I wanted to bring up the hottest team in the NHL, the New York Islanders, and I want to get your thoughts on them. 
Oh, I guess they don't really need Tavares then, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> They've been they won seven in a row. So what do you think of that? That's pretty impressive. Um, a good start to the season for them, but uh, they they really needed it because you have to keep in mind the Metro Division is very tight as it has been uh, for the last few years, and you need to be like really big step above everybody else in order to make the playoffs. Not only as one of the top three seeds or potentially even a wild card team. And what is it? The Islanders, I don't know what their schedule's been like, but they've had a pretty mixed bag of uh, easy competition, but also uh, really tough uh, opponents. And they've been uh, they've been close. They've been pretty good in those games, obviously based on their uh, seven game win streak. But uh, they still have a quality defensive team. That's their main identity. They still have Barry Trotz, which who pre- preaches that, and. Uh, the players are still buying into that mentality. Mm-hmm. And yes, they have a different goalie. It obviously would have been nice to keep Leonard. But Varlamov is seeming to... He's solid. He's yeah. solid. And they're getting wins with him. And I really think this is just a prime example of a team working as a team. You know, offensively, they have, uh, I think, about 15 different scores. That just shows, um, you know, they're contributing offensively. Um, you know, everyone's kind of pitching in. Matthew Barzell only has five goals, but um, he's still, like, their leader. And they're 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 still playing very well, and they're getting wins, and that's really what matters in the end. Is they have it figured out where they they can play defense first, and they can just kind of drive uh, their team um, from the back end out, and mm-hmm. they are just what I imagine like a team. And honestly, now I think we can see them as the real deal. I don't know. I don't. I don't think they'll regress. I think they'll kind of float around um, third in their division, um, right up to playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, last year everyone saying, you know, it's a, it's a fluke. They're going to regress this year. They're not going to make the playoffs maybe. Um, but I really think they are, a, they are a team that's on the rise, and I think they'll keep it up. I definitely think they're going to be uh, in the mix for sure. Will we, do I think that this is sustainable? Probably not to this extent. Not to this extent. But uh, they're definitely a team that's going to give other teams fits each mm-hmm. and every night, and I think that that's all you can really ask for for a team. Um Will they, they finish in third place? Probably. More realistic for me, I think, is one of the, the first wild card spot. Because just think about it this way. When Pittsburgh gets rolling again, that's going to make life difficult for uh, the Islanders. The Hurricanes and the Capitals are still the cream of the crop right now of the Metro Division. And we can't count out teams like Columbus, Philadelphia, New York, and New Jersey. At any given moment, one of those teams can catch fire. And that'll make this race a whole lot more interesting. So for sure. for good, it's a good thing that the Islanders have this really good start. You need to always have a good start to the season as much as you, you can say, oh, if you have a slow start, uh, your season's done. But uh, I think the Islanders should be happy with their good start. Uh, hopefully they can maintain it. I think the Metro in general is a very um, kind of a competitive uh, team, I mean a competitive division in the sense that, you know, you see like teams at the bottom, New York and New Jersey, but you can still expect a lot from them you know maybe they might turn things around obviously we head into the season with high expectations for both of those teams mm-hmm. but um again like every single team in the metro can kind of flip things whenever they're all wild cards really like they can they can really finish anywhere honestly i could see pittsburgh climbing in the ranks i could see new york having you know new york and new jersey both kind of clicking things later on and kind of rising yeah um obviously with the atlantic the atlantic i feel is much more tougher but I feel like the the kind of the the gaps between teams are a little bit bigger than in the metro. Where in the metro, you know, it's really like, you know, it's it's really close in the sense where they might not be as hard as Tampa Bay as as, as you know as good as Tampa Bay, Toronto, or Boston. But you know, they can really seed anywhere. Mm-hmm. Let's let's change things up to uh, the other end of the spectrum. A team that we didn't expect to be struggling this bad. And that's the San Jose Sharks. Uh, mm-hmm. As we, of right now, we spoke about them last week, and things haven't really changed. No, not at all. Incur- they're currently mirrored in a three-game losing streak that started against the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, with a loss there. Then they lost to the lowly uh, Ottawa Senators, which uh, that's got to be a tough one to swallow. And then just last night, they uh, got absolutely creamed by the Boston Bruins, five to one. So, yeah, for sure. And and you know they they are a a playoff team like we know year after year they're a playoff team and we know on paper they're still a playoff team they're still a very strong team but things are just not clicking you know um obviously they're a defensively defensively minded team especially mm-hmm. and i just don't feel like their defensive core is clicking right now mm-hmm. and they're just not getting 
um, getting things done. It's quite surprising, especially when you consider the fact that the specific division is probably the easiest division to win in the NHL. But they're for, struggling. For right now. And the fact that they're second last place in their division, that's very concerning. Especially when you see teams like the Edmonton Oilers, uh, the Anaheim Ducks, uh, the Canucks, even the Flames are having much better results than they are. That has to be concerning for Sharks fans. This is something they haven't experienced in quite some time. An, ex- an extended slump. And yes, I know last year they had a similar stretch where they were playing very poorly and people thought, oh, is this the end of the Sharks? On one hand, I want to say you can't count out the Sharks. I would not count out the Sharks. Of course. But at the same time, you have to wonder, are we nearing the point that their window, contention window is starting to close? I think, I don't think they're window is closing but i really think they need a little retooling they need to figure out goaltending i think for sure um in their past seven games they've in each of their past seven games they've given up at least four goals and that's a lot Mm -hmm. um martin jones doesn't look like the answer he was great a couple seasons ago and he's been kind of regressing since um and i just don't really their goaltending is an issue right now and i don't know if they're gonna Obviously, the goalie the goalie market is very very slim right now, so I don't yep. know where they'd find a solution. But if they wait too long, I really think that's something they need to address, and they don't want to wait too long for it. Mm-hmm. The problem with uh, them is that uh, Martin Jones. I remember hearing something that uh, he's one of the worst starting goalies on the NHL, and uh, that's not a good uh, distinction to have, especially mm-hmm. for a team like the Sharks, who thrive on being a defensively based team, and that's. Uh, very concerning, of course, and considering that uh, San Jose just went to the third round last year to being the position that they're in, it's definitely, uh, I think that if this kind of uh, extended drought continues, not like, let's say, a 10-game losing streak, because I don't think that's going to happen, but where they win one but lose two kind of thing, I would definitely be concerned if I was a, Shark, if I was a Sharks fan right now, if, mm-hmm. that, if that's what ha- actually happens uh, throughout the month of November. Um, and then I also want to talk about the Oilers because the Oilers are still playing well, mm-hmm. um, except they have lost two games straight now. And a big question is their offense, as in their offense, as in Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, and James Neal. And then it really falls off. And they really need more offense from their other guys. You know, you know, the team is kind of headed by those three guys right now, but they only have like how many 10 scores i think they only have 10 goal scores all season so far and that is not really something that you want you want more offense from you know the other guys you yeah. want more offense from them kind of spread out leon dries idol and Connor mcdavid are always going to be kings in, on that team they're yeah. um they're kind of just doing their own thing there um and that's really where they're going you know that's why they're really regressing because they can't be carrying the team like yep. They can't be carrying the offensive load the whole time. Yep. Uh, you know what this reminds me of? The 2013-14 Leafs. Uh, if you remember, the Leafs were off to a fantastic start. Mm-hmm. And it was carried primarily by their top line of Phil Kessel, JVR, and Tyler Bozak. When that line regressed and went through a slump, the whole team uh, basically fell apart with it. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing we see quite a bit. When a team has one line that is exceptionally talented, but questionable depth, both on forwards and defense, and uh, more or less shaky goaltending, uh, this is not to discredit Mike Smith because Mike Smith is a good goalie, but when you have these problems, they will add up over time. And especially right now, if we look at the standings, the Edmonton Oilers only have a point separating them from second place, and that's the Vegas Golden Knights. If, uh, let's say, the Canucks or the Flames win the game, then the Oilers find themselves completely out of the playoff spot just like that. Um, Do I think their start is sustainable? Probably not. Is it good for them to have a start like this? Absolutely, because Oilers fans have been struggling for so long and they need something to cheer for. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to discredit the Oilers. Of course. I, I definitely want the Oilers to be competitive. I want them in the playoffs. I think the league is better when Connor McDavid is in the playoffs. Yep. And I guess the Oilers in general. But I think we all kind of saw this coming. You know, the Oilers, they're just not built that deep other than be having Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And, um, you know, they got lucky with James Neal being this good. Um, and they really need to figure that out because, you know, um, 
I don't want I don't want this happening. But let's just say you know one of the two, Connor McDavid or Leon Draisaitl, gets injured. If they're out with injury, then that's a major major hole, a huge hole considering they're pretty much leading the offense mm-hmm. in by an extreme margin. I don't know what their cap situation is, but they need to find a way to work around it and get help score get help offensively because if the Oilers want their start to be sustainable, that's what they desperately need to do. Um, I know they've got some really big money tied up in uh, key players. Uh, obviously, McDavid and Drysdale's contracts are really big. But those two players need help, not just with James Neal, but more so on the second line, the third line. Nugent Hopkins Nugent needs, needs to really, for example, yeah. Nugent Hopkins needs to step up. Uh, I don't know who's on their third line, but those guys need to sm- take strides offensively. Uh, they need Clefbaum and Nurse to really be a factor on offense, not just uh, at 5-on-5 five five, but on the power play. You need to have guys like that be a bigger force on offense if Edmonton wants to start to be sustainable because if it, if they can't, which we've seen from the past history has not been the case, then Edmonton is going to be in serious trouble when they inevitably regress, which they're starting to do now, and or one of Connor McDavid or Dreisaitl goes down with an injury. For sure. And I'm, we're saying this as Leafs fans, of course. Like, our team has been kind of shaky as of late. Um, but hopefully the, the, the Oilers don't regress. But I, we, could, we can all kind of see it, you know. Like, they need to fix those things if they want to keep this up. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let's move on to something that's near and dear to our hearts. Uh, speculation about the, about the NBA. Yep, so we'll jump to basketball, and we will talk about our team, the Toronto Raptors, since we are here in Toronto. Of course. And um, the Toronto Raptors have been doing very good, actually. You know, um, obviously, this season was questionable coming in, but I think Pascal Siakam really stepped up as the guy here in Toronto. He's really stepping in that number one role, and he has uh, really no problem with keeping that role. You know, he's been scoring amazingly, like, um, really leading the teams. And so far... The Leafs, uh, what am I saying? The Leafs, the Raptors, <laughs> the Raptors have only lost one game against the Boston Celtics. And that was a pretty close game. What was it? Only six point deficit yeah. uh, that separated them. From yeah. 112 to 106. Yeah. There so you that go. was, that was a close game. And you know, the, um, I forgot which year, but the Raptors have been struggling to beat the Celtics at TD Garden mm-hmm. um, in a few years. Um, I forgot the exact year, but it's been a while. It's been a while since the Raptors have gotten a win in that building. Jeez. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have that narrative. You know, the Raptors are looking to snap that streak, but um, things have just been going good other than that game. The Raptors uh, dominated the Bulls and um, had a great game against the Magic. Mm-hmm. And um, other than that, we really want to talk about the speculation that Giannis Antetokounmpo might come to the Raptors. It's been something that people have been talking about since, I think, as early as uh, the start of last season. Uh, there's The speculation was really coming to a head, not only uh, when Giannis was in Toronto, uh, being uh, cheered on by the Greek community, but also by learning about Masai Ujiri's connections mm-hmm. to Giannis, both uh, bef- prior to coming to the NBA, but also the fact that they were close to getting one of his younger brothers on the team so here's my thing here's my two and, cents on the and matter M- messiah's wanted yeah um, yeah, yeah i'll give my two cents he's, afterwards he's wanted Giannis for a while um back in the 2013 draft i read that he actually tried to he really wanted to try to trade into the first round to take Giannis. so i mean he's had his eyes on him for a while and i think that that connection they obviously have a connection um, Toronto's a very diverse city, bigger market. And again, going back to when Kawhi left the Toronto Raptors, mm-hmm. um, the big narrative has been, you know, American players don't really want to come to Canada, as it seems. Mm-hmm. So why not go for international players? And the biggest international player, arguably, in the NBA is Giannis. And um, he, you know, because they, they don't really see a difference between Canada and the United States. Americans do. They see that difference between Canada and the United States. Of course. But an international player coming in will just see it as two different cities, you know? You know, an American city and a Canadian city. And um, I think Toronto's diversity, I think, again, the um, connection with Messiah, I think it'll all look good for um, 
Giannis, and especially if the uh, if the Raptors can keep up, you know, being a competitive team, and um, like a team that, again, like I know I know other stars have went to rebuilding teams to try and bring it up. You know, you know, LeBron went to the Lakers even though he knew the Lakers were rebuilding. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, I think Giannis might want to consider us. Of course. Um, but I think it would be better if we were competitive, if the Raptors were competitive and had something to show for mm-hmm. um, next season. Well, and I think we're uh, this season already is looking like it's off to a good start in terms of the fact that uh, they're selling to Giannis, not directly because obviously he his preference right now would be to stay in Milwaukee, at, as it seems right now. But at the same time, Giannis wants to win a championship. He's getting close to his prime. Uh, what is he, 24 years old, maybe 25 by the end of the year or early next year. I don't know exactly when his birthday is, but he's getting close to that point where he's been in the league for quite some time. He's gotten really close to the NBA Finals. Last year was the closest he's ever gotten, Game 6 of the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. He wants to get over the hump, and while he has a chance to do that, he needs a championship if he wants to uh, stay in Milwaukee. And... Uh, until we see what happens over the next two years, because a lot can change. Like, for example, Milwaukee could go on a really bad losing streak and miss out on the playoffs. Or they make the playoffs, but they get upset in the first round. Does Giannis want to stay there? Probably not, if that's what happens for two straight years. But at the same time, that's two years. That's quite a ways away. I think it's good to know that the Raptors are in the running, and it makes a lot of sense on a number of levels, as you've discussed earlier. But to me, I would love him to be here, but I just want to wait and see. I think we're going to have to wait and see. Um, Again, the speculation is coming from uh, the sources, John Hollinger of The Athletic. Um, he wrote that the Toronto Raptors will likely be one of the main suitors for Giannis. And um, honestly, yeah, I really think it just has to be played out. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks, if ever, are in the best position right now to win a championship. Um, other than, like, the Raptors, I think we, we talked about this last week, but, you know, maybe they're a second-round exit team at mm-hmm. best, um, unless Pascal Siakam takes a gigantic leap as a superstar. But yeah, We have seen strides of that that could become a reality. That, that's a possibility, later. for sure. But right now, in terms of the East and who can make it into the finals, it's really Milwaukee and Philadelphia up at the top there. And um, I really see it as just those two teams in the East. So I, I don't know. Like, if, if, if Milwaukee struggles to get over the hump that is Philadelphia for the next two seasons, then I really think Giannis will strongly consider leaving them, um, considering, you know, this is the best time to do it. And if they're unable to do it, then why would he want to stick around with them? Of course. There's a lot of, there'll be, there'll be a lot of questions surrounding the team. And I think right now, if we won't talk about too much about Milwaukee, but I think they have some improvements. They have to kind of, if they if they want to become a championship contending team, they they they, they still have some holes they can fill. I think Eric Bledsoe um, is not the point guard for them. I think mm-hmm. they need to look into other options. Of course, I've seen uh, Chris Paul's name being thrown around, which makes sense. Um, but does it make sense financially speaking? That's financially, is I, I think they can they can handle it. Mm-hmm. Um. And I do think it's, a, it's the upgrade they're looking for. I don't know what Oklahoma City is looking for in that trade. I don't even know if they want to get rid of him because, I mean, everyone kind of assumed they were going to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. But they're playing him out. So I really don't know what the situation on that is. But Milwaukee really has to, I think management really has to realize that they it's make it or break it with Giannis right now in yeah. these next two seasons. If, uh, if they can't get over Philadelphia and they can't make the finals, then, I don't know, something's up. If, if they make the finals, but they don't win the championship, then um, maybe Giannis will still stay because he knows that they can at least win the East. Um, but but even, if they, even if they could win this, does he re- maybe he recognizes that, that uh, this, is, this is probably the, maybe that was the best chance they ever got and that there's no, it was not going to get any better and we wasted mm-hmm. it. It's like I have to go somewhere else. But to your point... Uh, Giannis does want success in Milwaukee in order for him to want to stay, and that's what I'm reiterating what I'm saying earlier. For sure. But, but for, for sure, it seems like Philadelphia and Milwaukee are on a crash course in the Eastern Conference Finals, but let's not discredit the Miami Heat, which seem, they're off to a surprising start of their they own. Are. 
Boston's doing pretty well. Um, there's 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 some quality opponent uh, teams in the Eastern Conference. While it is pretty top heavy, we and then, can't keep t- take them for granted for sure. And then in the West, I mean, we know the Big Bad West is just very competitive, very hard. And um, I mean, we won't talk about it too much, but I do want to talk about the Lakers. I think we we talk about the Lakers every week. I think they're always in the news. But Anthony of course, Davis last night. Tuesday night, he scored 40 points, 40 points and 20 rebounds um, when the Lakers defeated the Memphis Grizzlies by a blowout score of 120 to 91. And LeBron, good. I just want to say LeBron only, only. I mean, it's still it's still a good, a really good stat line, but yeah. he only scored 23 points um, and eight assists, two rebounds. Um, but I really think. This is a good thing because mm-hmm. it kind of shows that LeBron James is kind of realizing that he can step back, and he should also he should step back because he's always been the number one guy. We know he's the best player, mm-hmm. but it shows a lot of maturity to step back and say Anthony Davis is in his prime. Anthony Davis is a superstar, and he can lead this team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of maybe that was what LeBron wanted all along. He always wanted a another superstar to play with because he's and getting to that point in his career where he's getting up there in age yeah he he's not going to get any better he's not getting any younger um he had an injury riddled season last year and that uh really hindered his play quite a bit and uh i think lebron recognizes that uh if he's going to want to win another championship at this point in his career which could be which could happen let's not count let's not count them out he needs help and he got that in Anthony Davis. He almost got that in Kawhi Leonard. But now they've got quite a big rivalry going on uh, at Staples Center. And to see, to see that Anthony Davis is taking a big step forward, which we've come to expect him uh, the last few years in New Orleans, but now more so in uh, L.A., I think that's good news for uh, the Lakers because if they want to ensure that uh, they're not a team that's going to uh, be overrated, um, they need Anthony Davis to make a big step forward, and sounds like he's off to that start right now. For sure, and I just really think it's a mature move for LeBron because, as we all know, you know, the GOAT narrative, is he the greatest of all time? Is Michael Jordan the greatest of all time? Does LeBron James want to become the greatest of all time? Of course he does. And a lot of the, a big part of that narrative is, you know, Michael Jordan was the number one guy for all his career. Mm-hmm. LeBron James needed help, yes. But if he really wanted to push that narrative, he's got to be the number one guy forever for his entire career. But it's a big mature decision to say, I'm okay with not being the number one guy. I I care about the team. I care about winning before any narrative. And I think that's a huge, huge thing to say. And I think that's like huge respect to LeBron for doing that. Here's something that I have a lot of... uh get excited about just thinking about it and i just wanted to bring this up really quickly the golden state warriors having oh, a slow yes. start is the dynasty over i don't think the dynasty is over i think <laughs> they are slumping you know you know that they're not they're not looking that good like they got blown out twice and they got blown out against like oklahoma that's a team of uh, a young team a rebuilding team and chris blowing Paul. them out. i turned that game on uh in the afternoon mm-hmm. um and i'm like Am I reading this score correctly? Like it, it's like the <laughs> the third quarter and like um, Oklahoma City is at like eighty points, and uh, Golden State was still at like forty. And I was like, "Am I reading this correct?" Like I I would have never guessed this like five four or five years ago. And uh, but I don't think they're um, I don't think they're done. I, I think agree. they have to figure it out. I think now we see how important Clay Thompson is because Clay mm-hmm. Thompson is really. A really good player. He's an amazing player. He's, I, I actually think he's somewhat underrated. I think uh, you can go as a he as well as one of the greatest shooters of all time, if not the second best shooter of all time, after Steph Curry. And um, I think they are adapting to D'Angelo Russell. Mm-hmm. And he had a big game the other night too. Let me just just want to pull up the stats for that. While you're looking it up, I can I'll just make the point real quick here. I think the Warriors are going to be fine in the end. Are they going to make the finals this year? Most likely not. Most likely not. Because if there's one thing I want to say about the Warriors, right now, more than ever, do they look vulnerable. 
And I think that that's something that they haven't really experienced in quite some time. Well, it, with the exception being the uh, towards the end of the uh, 2019 finals where they lost Durant to another injury after he was already sidelined. And then we they had Clay Thompson going down with that bad luck injury in game six. And now he's out for quite some time sure. to start the year. And there's making adjustments. They're going to make the playoffs the Warriors this year. But I can guarantee you right now, there's going to be a different team representing the Western Conference in the finals in 2020. And back to D'Angelo Russell. Like, I, again, I think the Warriors will, um, I think they'll be great. Um, I think this is the, kind of their off year. But once Klay Thompson get, comes back, I still think they have a deep starting lineup. And I don't know if they're going to flip D'Angelo Russell or keep him, but I think he's great in that starting lineup. Mm-hmm. He scored 24 points um, last game. They won 134 to 123 against the New Orleans Pelicans. The Pelicans, who are still winless, um, they're struggling without Zion. But, um, again, D'Angelo Russell, once he finds his game over there in San Francisco, um, and once he once the team figures out how to kind of incorporate him in, they'll get things going. And then mm-hmm. you add Clay Thompson, who I say is severely underrated. Mm-hmm. Not severely. He uh, he's you know everyone knows what he is, but I really think he is a huge component. I think people mm-hmm. under uh, underestimate how big of a component he is on that starting lineup because we've had you know a a completely star-studded lineup with the Warriors for the last few years. Mm-hmm. That it's kind of easy to undervalue some of them, but yeah, I think it's I think this year, as you said, they're most vulnerable. And this is their kind of their off year, um, but I think next year when Clay Thompson is back, I really do think the Warriors will be right up, kind of close to the top mm-hmm. of the West again, if they keep D'Angelo Russell. But again, if they flip him, I don't know. They could mm-hmm. they could they could pull some strings there. Yeah, for sure. Get something interesting going. Just here's what I think. I think for for Warriors fans, I think there's one thing that they should I, I want more than anything is to have a shorter like a longer off season than what they've been used to because yes they've been making the finals the past what four or five years now in a row um they played two different only two different teams it's it's going to wear and tear on your body after a while and uh, i think if they want this dynasty to continue past uh, the kevin durant mini era they need to i think it'd be in their best interest to have a longer off season than what they've been used to and that's like getting out of the second round of the playoffs probably for them. I can never hate the Golden State Warriors. Well, of I don't love them, but honestly, I have huge respect for the Warriors of all like always they're always going to be one of the best built teams whether you count Durant in there or not. The fact that they got guys like Steph, Draymond and um Clay, you know, that's a huge like rebuilding um that's a huge rebuild right there. Just how they built that team. Mm-hmm. I'll always have to give credit to them for that. But um, yeah, as of right now, teams are kind of building through free agency, and I don't see them being at the very top. It's going to be between uh, really Lakers and Clippers um, yeah. in the West. Of course, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, would lo- I would love to see Nuggets Nuggets break out. I think um, Jokic could be a MVP candidate this year. Yeah. Um, and if they get things going, if Jamal Murray takes another step, um, I think they could be competing for that final spot in the West. But um, again, I think it's I think it's really between the the two LA teams. Yeah, I think it should be a lot of fun for this LA rivalry to finally have life after what thirty five plus years of uh, both teams uh, not being at the same spot uh, in terms of their uh, overall trajectory. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And I guess we'll go into the final sport for today. Yeah, final topic um, and something baseball. that does. Uh, yep, absolutely very pressing uh, topic that's, uh, by the time you hear this, the World Series will have already been uh, decided. Yep, and, and and the champion will be, have, have, have been crowned by, by the time you're hearing this. But right now, as we record this, Game 7 is tonight. Yep. Game 6 was last night. And uh, honestly, Game 6 was a crazy, crazy game. Of Washington really showed up. And I think you were saying, like, even you thought Houston might have made a comeback. Yeah, they uh, they were playing exceptionally well in that game. It looked like Houston was going to uh, close it out in Game 6. But uh, Washington, credit where credit is due, um, they, they came out to play. They uh, really attacked offensively from the fifth inning on. And uh, I think they definitely deserve that win. I think the fact that this series has gone to seven games just reiterated what we were talking about the last time mm-hmm. we were talking about it is that both teams are really close, 
this is going to go down to the wire and while we probably uh, know who's more than likely going to win just before game seven has even been played i think it's you gotta tip your hat to the nationals because they've they made one hell of a series they've had a hell of a season and just the fact that they even made it this far is is very commendable especially given the loss of uh, such a talented t- player in bryce harper mm-hmm. and uh i mean we'll just wrap things up quickly predictions for tonight um we were kind of right again like as you said last week we were kind of correct with our predictions i said it's going to go down to the wire i thought either six or seven games i was really leaning towards seven games and here we are and i'm still going to stick with my prediction of houston coming out on top um i just i just see them winning i don't i i I really don't even have a explanation really on paper they're obviously a stronger team um but i just have a feeling like houston's gonna do you know after being down to nothing, they kind of pushed back, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they had the advantage once again. Not, again, the series is like it's just so close. Um, but I think Houston will take it, and I I do think it'll be a close game. I honestly think it'll be like a one run game. Like I think we're seeing one of the closest um, World Series we've seen in a long time. Here's what I think. I think the odds should point in Houston's favor. But at the same time, no home team has been able to win a game in this World Series yet. So That's what true. I think is the big going to be the big deciding factor is the pitchers. Uh, I'm not sh- I can't remember off the top of my head who's the starting pitcher for the Nationals. You can look that up while I'm, while I'm making this point. Uh, but Honestly, I know that Greinke... Yeah, they announced the starters yet. Yeah, Greinke is going to be the starter for the Astros. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, Garrett Cole is going to make a relief appearance because... The Astros need it, and they want to close it out. And Garrett Cole has been one of the best pitchers in baseball all year. Um, here's my yeah, thing. So Scherzer and, and um, Greinke will should be a really fun matchup. Be starting. Here's what I think is the here's going to be the big difference. If one, if either one of these starting pitchers struggle, that's going to be a huge boost for the other team because uh, starting pitching has been basically the critical. Uh, component of this series when one pitcher is doing well that team does well offensively when not when the opposite is true they struggle and give up quite a bit of runs i really think that this is there's a lot of pressure on granky because i don't think he's ever won a world series as far as i can tell i'll look it up um more than likely cole's gonna play and this is quite a chance to cement his legacy in uh houston if it's done but I really think that uh, yes, Houston has the has the odds to win, but I wouldn't be surprised too if uh, the if Washington ends up winning because it's just been that kind of series where one pitcher has a bad game and that basically is all she wrote. For sure, um, I guess yeah. we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, we'll see how the World Series plays out tonight, and we'll see who wins. And obviously, by the time you've listened to this, you'll know that answer. Um, so thanks for listening. This, yeah. was, this was episode two. We will be back next week. Um, I'm Matthew. I'm, I'm Michael. Uh, just congratulations to either Houston or Washington, regardless of what happens tomorrow t- tonight. Uh, we'll, we'll find out uh, afterwards, and we'll say our congratulations in the <laughs> description. Uh, one thing before we do go, um, we learned recently that uh, former Leafs GM Jim Gregory has uh, passed away at age 83, I believe, so we just, just want to give her Just before we... We came into the studio, so yeah, we want to give our condolences to, um, to him and his family, and um, I guess the the entire Toronto Maple Leafs organization, and hockey in general. Of course, yeah, it's a tough loss when when somebody uh, big in hockey uh, passes away. So mm, our condolences during this tough time, for sure. Uh, on a on a lighter note, uh, thank you for listening to this week's episode. We'll be back uh, in two weeks. Uh, as I'm going to be uh, out of the country. Okay, where are you going? Uh, I'm going to Ireland. Nice, nice, Ireland, nice. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, quite a bit of beards being drunk. Drinking. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So, yeah, two weeks we'll be back, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter. My Twitter is at Matt underscore Rodrigo, R-O-D-R-I-G-O underscore. And my Twitter handle is at the Leafs IMO. You can find my Twitter page, the Leafs IMO. Uh, if you want to hear me talk about the Leafs and uh, how refreshing the start of the season has been, you, that's the place to go. So thank you for listening, and we'll catch you guys in two weeks. See you guys. See ya.